Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. Briefly, scratching the surface as we go forward, I remind you that this was part of Jesus' teaching on his sermon on the mount. And uh, we talked about, he said that blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about blessed are those who mourn. We talked about blessed are the meek. And remember what we said, that meekness is not weakness. Come on, somebody say meekness ain't weakness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about blessed are the merciful. We talked about how, uh, unfortunately, uh, our forgiveness from God is based on how much we forgive others. Come on, somebody. We know we don't earn it, but the Lord said, with the measure that you forgive, you'll also be forgiven. And so go back and listen to those. But today we pick up on number six, and that is blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Right there, go ahead in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now once again, to truly grasp what Jesus is teaching, we go back to the Hebrew meaning. Of course, remember that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, in the common Greek language. Uh, But also, as we know that it was written down in the Greek language, we also have to realize that Jesus was, of course, teaching from a Hebrew perspective. And so we take both of those things into consideration, the language he was using and the context that he was coming from as a Jew, as a Hebrew. And so in the Old Testament, we find that heart and soul are often used interchangeably. Uh, The Hebrew understanding of the heart is more than just the seat of emotions. It is also the seat of one's spiritual and intellectual activities, the inner person as a whole. In addition, the heart in the Old Testament usage is the place where fantasies and visions occur. The folly and evil thoughts also originate and develop in the heart. How I many of the Bible says in one place that, that the earth got to where it said that the, the very thoughts of the people were so wicked. Uh, and, and so we find that's where the Bible's talking about. They are developing the heart as do the will and the intention to carry them out. How many of you know you got to have a thought, then you got to have the will to do it, and then you got to actually do it. I have a thought. I'm going to walk over to that pulpit and I'm going to pick up that phone. Then I got to have the will to do it. I'm going to take the steps over there and do it. Not only do I have to have the will, I actually actually have to do what? I have to make the action, do it, and pick it up. How many of you know that happens in your life? Everything that you do, whether it's good things, whether it's bad things, anything, it starts in the heart. This inside, as we're talking about it in this perspective, to sum it all up, that it, this, as we talk about the heart right here, what Jesus is referring to in the Old Testament, that Hebrew understanding, it is the gyroscopic center of a person where all thoughts, feelings, and intentions are either balanced or unbalanced. So in other words, this is the inside. We're not breaking this up and the heart, soul. This is what this is talking to do is about your 
inside stuff. And so how many of you remember, I talked about a little bit last week, I referred to how Jesus talked about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, how one time he told them, hey, y'all are really good at following rules. You're like a whitewashed tomb. It's all pretty and beautiful and clean on the outside, but what you got on the inside? He said, you got a bunch of dead men's bones. You got rotting carcasses, maggots, disgust. You say, that's disgusting. That's what Jesus said. I'm just trying to tell you what he said. And so God is not just about getting the in the outside cleaned up and forgetting about the inside because we find here that God is telling us blessed are the pure in heart that's saying that you've got to have a clean inside somebody say I got to have a clean inside now, some of y'all with kids, you know what I'm talking about, the outside. Sometimes when they're little and they're in a certain age, you got to say, hey, you got to go take a bath. you got to go take a shower, you know. But how many of you know it's not just about getting the outside clean? And sometimes in Pentecost back years ago, sometimes we got all caught up on the outside and we didn't get the inside cleaned up. Because you can get the outside all cleaned up and you can make that look neat and then you can forget about the inside. You know, sometimes we had a bunch of people, men in suits and women, and dresses and they was doing all the right stuff it looked like on the outside but they's full of the devil on the inside and I, listen what I believe is this I believe what Jesus wants us to do and he's saying here blessed are the pure in heart in other words you need to be pure on the inside and I believe if you get pure on the inside you're going to get pure on the outside if you got Jesus on that, there's a song that said Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. I believe where we got to start is to start on the inside. That's why you need to get born again. Listen, this is not a self-help place. I don't know what you came here today looking for, but I'm not a self-help guru that's going to tell you every little detail of how to get your life straightened out. I'm a preacher of the gospel, and I believe that there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. He died on an old rugged cross so that he could save your soul. So here's what I've come today to invite you to do if you haven't already. I tell you, I serve this man, Jesus, that died for you, and he will wash your sins away. He'll make you new and clean on the inside. And I believe as he makes you new on the inside, it's going to begin to show up on the outside. You can't be all clean on the inside and stay dirty on the outside very long. Pretty soon when you're clean on the inside, listen, we, we got it all wrong. We used to try to think we got to get them in and beat them into doing what's right. No, when you get Jesus on the inside after a while, you're going to stop wanting to do the things of this world. Come on. When you get Jesus on the inside, you're going to stop. You're going to begin to stop wanting to live like the devil on the outside. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's talking about. Jesus is saying here, on the inside of you, the, everything that you are on the inside, your thoughts, everything that you are needs to be pure, needs to be holy. Now, I'm going to be careful just a little bit here. Don't nobody get too nervous on me. This is going to be a little bit old school, but that's why I believe it's important what you allow on the inside of you. Now, I'm going to stop and I'm going to slow down for just a second because for so many years, people just thought it was all about a bunch of rules and pastors and parents and Sunday school teachers just wanted to take the fun away from you. But here's the deal. I believe it's important what you watch. It's, it's important what you listen to. It's important because this pure in heart, Jesus is talking about the inside, all of it, your thoughts, your emotions, your intentions, and, and, and then getting ready to carry it out. It is important what you look at. It is important what you listen to. And I'm not trying to do that to be a killjoy. I'm trying to remind you that what you allow on the inside is going to eventually affect you. 
Come on, you keep on eating. Just eat candy. Just so, I, I never did watch it, uh, but did anybody ever watch that, that uh, special on Super Size Me on the guy that just ate McDonald's forever? Got one, come on, anybody else there? Anyway, so, you know, eventually you just keep on eating that junk, it's going to mess you up. Physically, you keep eating junk, it's going to do junk to your body. And if you keep on ingesting things that are not holy spiritually and you let them in your ears and you let it in your eyes, it is going to eventually on the in- your heart, on the inside, it will corrupt that inside person. This promise that the pure in heart will see God alludes to Psalm 24 that says this. It says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart will ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. Now, when we go back to that Old Testament, we remember what that means. The clean hands and the pure heart, that represents two hands. Clean hands, hands always end up representing what you do, your actions. And a pure heart, the inside of you will what ascend unto the hill of the Lord. Now, remember, in this Old Testament perspective, the hill of the Lord, this was a psalm of ascension. In other words, they used to sing, y'all ready for this? As they were going to the temple or the tabernacle or the place of worship in Jerusalem, they would sing these songs of ascension. Why? Because it don't matter where you go in Israel, Jerusalem is always up the hill. And so they were a song of ascension because they had to journey from wherever they lived to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the, or the tabernacle to be able to worship the Lord. So here's what they did. They had these songs that they sang on their way to church. So instead of fussing and fighting and feuding and everything else on the way to church, what did they do? They worshiped on their way to church. Isn't that a novel idea? Because sometimes we like we doing everything else in the world until we get to church, and, and we 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 fuss, we fault, we've been on every social media platform, we've done everything else, and then we finally get to church. We're like, oh, time to pray, time to get my praise on. <laughs> can I just can I just encourage you in something here? Don't wait till you step in this sanctuary to get ready to get your praise on. I encourage you to start praising when you wake up in the morning. Can I just tell you what my, my, my normal routine, I usually turn on, and it depends on who it is. I've got different ones and early services, and I'll turn them on. I'll listen to some other preacher preach before I get up here and preach. I'll have it. Now, I may not just be on every word. I'm looking over my stuff. I'm getting ready. I'm doing whatever. But I'm going to get myself prepared and get myself, because I don't want to just show up in this sanctuary, just cold turkey, be like, all right, preach. No, this was, we find that this Jesus, what he's referring to was this psalm, psalm it's a song of ascension that they, they sang it and they prepared their hearts on their way to meet the Lord. I just want to encourage somebody next Sunday. I dare somebody to wake up next Sunday morning and just turn on some praise and worship music. I dare somebody just turn it on. If you want to turn it on while you're in the shower, listen. If you want to get in the car, turn it on. I dare somebody on your way to church. Don't worry about what's going on Facebook. Don't worry about what's going on on Sports Center. Don't worry about any. I dare somebody next Sunday on your way to church to put yourself in a song of ascension to say, I'm on my way to the house of the Lord. I am on my way to worship him and he is worth me preparing myself for what's about to take place.
I had one of my, my daughters that asked me, I can't remember, maybe it was Molly Kate, somebody was talking about it the other day. Hey, we're, we're in a football town. You know what, you know what these coaches do? You know what the, you know what our football team does? Even for a home game, they stay in a hotel. That what they do is they try to everything, they try to get their stuff together before the game. Coach Leach does not want one of the one of the offensive linemen to sleep in on a Saturday morning and him have to send somebody over to their dorm or their apartment and beat on the door to wake them up. Because he don't want them running in. Can you imagine that? The, the, the one, of, one of the police officers having to bring an offensive lineman in last minute into Davis Wade Stadium. They're throwing on a uniform because they're about to kick off. Oh, but we'll do that coming to church, so please, better late than never. Don't just come, don't not come to church. But I'm talking about, I believe as a habit, if everything else is worth preparing ourselves for, is it not worth Preparing yourself and getting ready. This is something you said, Pastor, you're cheating. Nope. Jesus is referring to Psalm 24. He who has clean hands and a pure heart will ascend to the house of the Lord. In other words, the house of the Lord was the place where the presence of the Lord was. If you want to find yourself in the presence of the Lord, you've got to have clean hands, what you do. You've got to have a clean heart on the inside of you. If you want to find yourself in the presence of the Lord and ascend to the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. Can I just tell you this? If we want to see God, this is old-fashioned, I know, but if we want to see God and we want the presence of God, we got to be holy. In fact, the Bible said, holiness without which no man will see God. i got to move on. That's too much for y'all on a Sunday morning, I can see. Seventh, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We often define peace. As putting aside a conflict for a truce. You see, we want to go to the Hebrew word again for peace, which most everybody has, if you can't say it right now, when I say it, you're going to remember the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Everybody say shalom. It is a state of wholeness in individuals or nations, including safety, health, and wealth in the context of God's covenant with his People. And I don't have time. I'm not going to dig too much into it right now. But how many of you know Jesus even said, this peace I give you, not which the world gives you. So, so there's different kinds of peace. Somebody look at the person beside you say, hey, there's different kinds of peace. So what I'm preaching about this morning, Jesus said, not the peace of the world. I don't want to preach to you. I don't really care about the peace of the world today. I want to preach to you about this shalom, the peace that God wants to get. Now look at that same person and say, you need some shalom today. <laughs> now look back at him and say, I need some shalom today. <laughs> you see, true peace is based on God's covenant of peace with his people. It is the nature of God's blessing for his faithful people who are in right relationship with him. Can I just tell you that when you're in right relationship with God, God wants you to have his shalom. His shalom is for you when you are living for him. And I'm not, I know we're never going to be perfect. I realize that. But when we are trying to live our life for him, God wants us. It's in the covenant for us to have shalom. Now, mere absence of military strife and material wealth are not God's peace. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm really going to have peace, that means that there can be no strife or nothing going on in my life to have peace. That's not God's peace. You'll drive around, maybe you see it on church signs before, the whole no God, N-O God, no peace, N-O peace. And then under that, you'll see no God, K-N-O-W, God, K-N-O-W, peace. If you want peace, you're going to have to have the Prince of Peace in your life. 
You're not going to have this shalom without God. You can't Listen, there ain't no sending out some good vibes for this. Oh, Lord, help me. There ain't no sending out good vibes for this. There ain't no trying to get yourself in enough. Only way you're going to get this shalom is if you've got the God of this peace. You ready for this? Shalom comes from obedience to God. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 20, it tells us that righteous Josiah, who was killed in battle, is said to have died in peace because of his obedience. Now, this is where you've got to really understand what this true shalom is because the world will give you some peace, Jesus said. And the world's going to try to tell you that oh, to have peace, you can't have any conflict. You can't have anything going on. Well, brothers and sisters, can I just tell you something today? I've, I've been on this earth now for over 40 years, and it's been very few times in my life where I can come to a place and there just ain't absolutely nothing going on. Now, I know there's bigger storms than others, but listen, if you live life long enough and if you've got enough irons in the fire and you've got enough family, come on, somebody, you're going to have some storms over here, over there. Something's going to be going on. And if you're waiting for peace to come, just for everything to calm down and to never have any problems going on, you don't understand shalom and you'll never have shalom. Because shalom is not about Nothing's going on. King Josiah was in the middle of battle and he was killed, but yet he had peace. Why? Because he was obedient to God. So here's how you get shalom. You obey God. And there might still be some storms going on in your life. But if you know that you, you are right with God and you've been obedient to God, you can still have peace to say, Lord, I know everything's not exactly like I want it to be, but I've been obeying you and I've got your peace. I know, I know there's still a little bit of conflict over in this area, but I've still got your shalom. I know that everything's not going on exactly the way I want it to over here, but I've still got your shalom. Can I just tell you, there will never be a time where nothing's going to be going on, and so you'll find yourself never at peace. What you need to understand, what I've come to understand also as I've studied this, is that we must understand that when we obey Jesus, even in the middle of our storms, we can have peace. In fact, Jesus, who is called the Prince of Peace, had little material possessions. He had groups of religious leaders who hated him. He was crucified on a cross, but he obeyed God, and peace was with him. Shalom doesn't mean everything's going exactly like you want it to go, but there's an overall peace that comes knowing you're obedient to God. Can I, can I stop right here and just tell you? Things rarely go exactly like I want them to go. I'm the pastor. I'm the preacher. I mean, I, I'm blessed with a good life, but things very, very rarely go exactly like I want them to go. And if I'm waiting for everything to go exactly like I want them to go, I'm never going to have peace. The peacemakers, we find, will be called the son, excuse me, I need a, I drew me an arrow. I got this mixed up in my notes. I'm sorry. So as peacemakers, remember, that's the, that's the blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called the sons of God. As peacemakers, we're called to number one, love our enemies. We've been called to be peacemakers. Children of God. You know, Jesus taught over and over, we're to be peacemakers. You know, you know what we want to, our favorite thing we want to go to? 
We want to get mad and we want to do stuff. We always want to talk about Jesus went in the, table, in the temple and turned over the tables. My God, if that's great. every time somebody gets mad, they just want to go and pull that one out. Well, Jesus turned over, bless God, he turned over the tables in the temple. Do you know what? As I, and yes, but look at the rest of Jesus' life. Jesus, the rest of his life, he was, well, he was a peacemaker. So I'm not saying there's never going to come a time where you're going to have to turn over some tables. But the majority of Jesus' life, what did he do? He healed. He comforted. He blessed. He brought peace. So brothers and sisters, you know what I think the majority of our existence is supposed to be? A peacemaker. It's not to be the one always on social media or always in the middle of something, always trying to stir something up, flip over tables. No. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. We're supposed to be the ones that come in and bring peace to a situation. You're not supposed to be the one that walks into a room and everybody's like, oh, God, it's them. They're going to get everything stirred up again. No, we should be the people that we walk in a room and say, thank God they're here. They, 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 just, they can bring some calm to this situation. Y'all know some people are better than others. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's some people that they got that. They can walk into a room and they can bring calm into a situation. I know some will be better than others, but I hate to tell you, but Jesus said it for all of us that we all need to be peacemakers. Way more than Jesus called us to flip over tables, he called us to be peacemakers, to love our enemies, you know, he told us to do that, right? In fact, he told us to pray for our enemies, love our enemies. He told us also to go the extra mile. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But we find the peacemakers will be called the sons of God. This is, as some of these are, this is given in a future tense, pointing toward the final judgment. So that when we stand before God, We'll stand before God, not as strangers, but as sons of God. But we also experience the blessing of being called sons of God right here and right now. And finally, I'm wrapping this up. Eighth and finally. Verse 10. Look at it with me if you will. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these all tie together, 10 all the way through 12. Blessed, this is 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So according to these verses here, persecution can come in a number of ways. They can insult you. They can lie on you. How many of you know they lied on Jesus? Read about his crucifixion, or the leading up to the crucifixion, as they brought him in and they put him on a false trial. They lied on him. They can physically assault you. They can socially shun you. Now, all of these things, these persecutions can come. Now, now, as for those of us, all of us are right now here in America. Some have not always lived here, and you may have actually endured some of the physical assaults or maybe even physical dangers on you. But for those that have always been here in America, you know, we've not really had that whole physically, we didn't have to worry about somebody physical, oh, you're a Christian, you know, shoot you or anything like that. That's, that's rare. But how many of you know that sometimes we are, we are shunned? 
And especially sometimes when you stand for holiness and righteousness, because sometimes people will mistake the fact that you're not going to go out and get drunk and you're not going to party and you're not going to sleep around. And because you won't do it, it makes them feel convicted. And then they lash out at you. Oh, are you holier than thou? No, I'm just telling you, that's just not the way I'm going to live. And sometimes people will persecute you, socially shun you because of that. Persecuted because of righteousness. Honestly, how many of you can say, you know, there's something, one of these things, you found that because you were trying to live for God, you found one of these things that happened. Come on, let me see your hand. You've seen, you've been shunned maybe. Some people didn't, they didn't like it. They, they thought they called you holier than thou or something. These things happen sometimes. Now, now stay with me, this little side note here to apply this beatitude. It must be because of righteousness and not because of our own bad choices. Help us, Lord. Because sometimes we're persecuted because we've made very stupid decisions on our own. Sometimes we make horrible choices and we find ourselves in a mess and then we want to try to, no, listen, there's sometimes that we're going through some stuff because we've made some stupid choices. And I'm not saying God won't help you out of that. I'm sure thankful I've made plenty of stupid choices and I'm thankful that God has helped me to get out of those. But don't mistake those for persecution because of righteousness when it's been your own bad choices or your own pride or our own stubbornness. But blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So no amount of suffering or persecution here on earth can ever match the blessings in heaven that we will receive. In fact, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 8 and 9, and then we'll jump to 17 and 18. It says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, the Apostle Paul here is saying to the church in Corinth, look, we got all kinds of bad stuff going on, but no matter how bad you may think it is when you are persecuted because of righteousness, it is just a drop in the... It worketh for a moment, but it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. Any little tiny bit you suffer on behalf of Jesus Christ, it's going to turn into a much greater blessing when we get on the other side of glory. Now, you may say, oh, he don't know what he was talking about. Let me read to you a little bit more. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, this is Paul writing five times. I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have been often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure on my concern 
concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul is not. I mean, he's writing this. Some of them say, oh, he don't really know. Listen, ain't many folks that felt the kind of pressure and the kind of persecution like Paul did who would eventually lay his head on Caesar Nero's chopping block where his head would be decapitated from his body. But yet he said, our light affliction is for both, for but a moment. It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't know what's coming in the coming months, in the coming years. I don't know what you're facing even right now because of your stand for Jesus Christ. But can I just remind you on this Sunday as we finish up this series on the Beatitudes that whatever you face because of Jesus Christ, He will reward you so much more than anything that you give up on His behalf. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at startvillecogcom forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.